What's happening? Have a seat, have a seat. Oh my God. Last time we did this, I was at a comedy club. This time we in a theater. What the fuck is happening? I'm so happy to be outside right now. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you something. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. It's good to come on. This weather is the bullshit, but. <laughs> I told my kids, they ain't from LA. They ain't never been out here. So my daughter, she has some jeans with that big ass hole in it. So let me tell you, that nine degrees gonna find your ass, you hear me? You know, kids don't listen, I'll be fine. When we walk outside, when I tell you her knees locked up on her ass, she was like, ah, oh, this shit is, this is. They called, I was, it was just on time too. As soon as I was like, I've, I've been on tour for the last six months and I've been doing like 20 cities. And literally when I, when it was time to go, it was right on time. Cause I'm telling you, I had to get, I had to get the fuck out of that house. It was, I, I couldn't, I, we've been home forever. Remember when they said two weeks, remember that? When they said two weeks, I was like, oh, two weeks? Shit, I can do two weeks. You know, I talk to my kids, get to, get to see what kind of people I'm raising. Listen to my wife's stories all the way through from the beginning to the end. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that shit is not easy in my house. You ever listen to somebody tell a story that ain't good at telling stories? Six minutes in, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? 13 minutes in, to make a long story short, no bitch, we passed a long story short 13 minutes ago. <laughs> I need you to wrap this shit up. Six weeks in, I started hanging out at the Whole Foods parking lot near my house. <laughs> I found out it was just dudes. I went by one day, I thought it was just dudes in their cars, just sitting there. I went by, I was like, what is going on? We just can't be in that house no more, I swear to God. Dude's just smoking, looking out the window of their car. I'm gonna kill somebody if I go back in there. <laughs> we not supposed to be together like that. Remember, we was together all day, every day. We not supposed to be together like that. Remember, you would wake up and be like, this is it all fucking day. We supposed to be together about 10 hours a day. And for eight of them, we supposed to be asleep. You understand? Then leave two hours a day to destroy this relationship if that's what we gonna do. My first week out on the road, my wife, Julie, texted me, do you miss us? <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. I'm fine, okay? <laughs> you live at home. First of all, if you live at home with anybody, you, we was on each other's nerves. Everything was getting on each other's nerves. Like if you live with somebody, you know that you can't just get up and go about your business without somebody needs some shit every time. Every time I get up, where you going? You going to the kitchen? Where you going? No, I'm just getting the remote and hand me that magazine. Why you always need some shit? Every time I get up, she want me to bring her some shit, take something back, get your own shit. Let me live in here, you understand? God damn it. Me and my wife have sat on the couch and tried to outweigh each other. Because don't nobody want to get up because they know whoever get up got to bring the other person some shit. We have almost peed on ourselves, you understand? And I was like, I swear to God, I'll piss all over this couch while I get up and bring you another goddamn thing, I swear. My wife is a huge water drinker. Anybody else? Drink like, I'm talking about carry one of them personal bottles. All right, yeah, we don't like you, okay? 
Because first of all, water triggers always think everybody else wants water too. Anybody need water? No, just you. We don't need only one. We go into the grocery store. They got a whole aisle of water if we need. My wife, Julie, carrying water everywhere she go. She don't never forget this water till we go upstairs and go to bed every night. Every single night start the same way in my house. Ah. What? I think I forgot my water. Why you doing this? Why you, ain't no water in your pajamas. Why you doing this? Then she get passive aggressive. Well, if you happen to find yourself downstairs, maybe you could bring me some water. Who finds theyself downstairs? When the last time you been walking to go pee and go, oh shit, I found myself downstairs. Guess I'll get Julie's water since I'm downstairs. Get your own shit. We was on each other's nerves, arguing. And let me tell you something, we'd be arguing. Me and my wife argue every day. Every day, it don't be no blowout. But every day we stop and square and be like, all right, what's it gonna be, bitch? You want this smoke or what? And that's her talking to me every day. I'm afraid of her. We be arguing. Me, we argue. Me and my wife argue. Not long we've been together. We will argue in front of you, talking about you, and we don't give a fuck that you there. We'll be. Did you ever be out with a couple and they be arguing, and you be like, "Ooh, this is getting personal. Should we go?" That's, I'm like, I told you I didn't want to fucking eat with them, but you got me out here anyway. So fuck it, Julie. Let's eat. That's it. We argue. Because we know you can't just be, we've been in this house too long, we've been together too long. Me and my wife have been together long enough that we both agree that we both do not equally give a fuck what the other person is talking about. Do you know how long you gotta be married to agree? I was talking to her the other day and in the middle of my speech, she just walked the fuck out the road. She didn't make no announcement, she just walked off. And I wasn't offended, I was like, that's about right. She should have left 10 minutes ago, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, a lot of relationships didn't make this little pandemic. Some of y'all was in relationships that shit didn't work out. You realize, I don't want to be in here with this person no more. One of my boys, he left his whole family. No, when I tell you, he went outside and never came back. You know how you check the mail? You know when you check the mail, you don't, you don't make no announcement when you check the mail, you just go check the mail. He went outside and we have not seen his ass since that day. And this is the thing, when you leave a family, I would think a part of leaving a family is to disappear and never to be heard from again. Not this dude, every time I text him, he texts me back. I was like, where are you gone? What? Who? I was like, are you coming back? No. I said, who the fuck walks out on a family and texts your friends from the past? Who does that? Every time I left the house for three months after that, my wife's like, where are you going? <laughs> like, don't you worry, I'm coming back, you understand? I ain't leaving my shit in here. Because my boy, he left, he had, a, he had a huge shoe collection, like $25,000 worth of shoes. He left all that shit. He didn't go back and get shit. You understand how done you gotta be to leave all your shit? You out right now, dog. bam, that's the outfit. Imagine shit at your house is so bad that you go, this outfit is enough to start over. Fuck everything at that house. I don't need my glasses, my ID, I don't need none of that shit. I'll go to the DMV and go back there and fuck with her again. That's what it was. I told my wife, I said, if I leave, I'm bringing, I'm getting all my shit in half of yours. You understand? 
ain't nobody doing none of that shit. Because, you know, I know where I'm at. I know where I'm at in my life, too. I'm at that perfect midlife crisis age. You know, I'm at that age now. Especially even in Hollywood. You're at that age where you drop off your first wife. You pick up a young second wife. Ride her out the rest of her days. <laughs> look, at, look at all the women that poop time for you to get dropped off. Look at your faces. You know, and this is the thing. You think about it, like, in theory, it sounds great. It sounds fun. Something new, fun. But in reality, you want to do the same shit with this new one that you did with the first one. Ain't no new shit happening. You understand? Ain't nothing new under the sun. I'm at the same conversations. The same, if I get a young wife, I got to do the same. I got to have a baby with the young wife because she got to have the same shit the first wife had. She going to be like, oh, y'all got a baby. We ain't got nothing. I want to see what me, that shit. Now I'm sitting at my oldest daughter's wedding. I got a six-month-old on my lap. I'm 68 years old. I'm sleepy as shit. <laughs> that don't sound fun. I got one of my boys, a couple of my friends. They, you know, they left their first wives. They married to young wives now. They second wife, 15 years younger than them. Easy. One of my boys, he just celebrated his third wedding anniversary. Him and his wife. You know, she's 15 years younger than me. He my age. They picture of them at the a video of them at the party dancing. She dancing her ass off. This motherfucker's struggling. <laughs> Making all them old man dance faces. <laughs> I called him, I said, nigga, take the video down. You look like you're struggling. Take it down now. I'm not doing none of that shit. I'm about to sit my ass there with my wife. We about to sit there and eat these Doritos and fall apart together. That's what the fuck we about to do. Not doing none of that. We try to do is get these kids out. That's what we got to do. You want some freshness in your relationship. Get them kids out your life. I got two 14, 16 year olds. Let me tell you something. These, first of all, these, these new kids, they the most entitled group of people that I've ever met in my life. You hear me? But here's the thing. I know they like this because we made them like this. My kids is like, because everybody wants to do better for their kids than they think was done for them. Then I thought about, I was like, I came up pretty good. So what the fuck is the goal here? What am I trying to do? This is how I know that I'm doing too much. My daughter, Anna Grace, just turned 16. She calls me and said, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I ain't never said no shit like that to my father. Matter of fact, I prefer we didn't talk, to be honest with you. She's like, I'd like to talk to you. I'm turning 16. I want to talk to you about the type of car I'd like. <laughs> I said, I want to hear what you think you got coming. She said, I've had my eye on the G-Wagon. you think is happening around here? That a G-Wagon is anywhere in your future. You understand? What makes you think you're going to get a $100,000 car? Julie normally defends everything these kids say. Julie heard this. This pissed her off. She came out the back like, hold up. I'm fucking him and I ain't got no G-Wagon. You definitely not get no G-Wagon. You're getting a 98 Corolla. Get the fuck out of here. Because they've been given everything. This is the generation of giving them every fucking thing. This is the participation trophy generation. 
That's what's good. Let me tell you something. You got the goddamn participation trophies in your house, your kids gonna not be shit. You hear me? I'm telling you, that's bullshit. That, that whole thing, if everybody's a winner, no the fuck they're not. I know some losers in my life, and I work way too hard to be grouped in with these motherfuckers. You understand? That part is, why should the winner walk away with the same shit as the loser? Tell me that. What we teaching them? Everybody's a winner? No, ain't no participation home loan, is it? When the last time you've been to the bank and they was like, well, we know your credit ain't shit and your income is bad, but at this bank, everybody's a winner. <laughs> Here's your loan, good luck. Get the fuck out of here. That ain't real. They got participation trophy certificates. They love giving out certificates to these kids. That's a favorite. My daughter came home one time in third grade. Ashton came home with a certificate for, for volunteering at school. Framed it and put it on the wall next to her mama's degree. Proud. I was like, if you don't get this shit out of here, hard as your mama work for this degree, you gonna hang up a certificate for passing out straws on juice box day? We're not doing none of that shit. Always got a certificate, always got a participation trophy. You know what the problem is? The problem is the playground is too soft. That's the problem. Playground is way too, when I came up, the playground was made of asphalt. Playground was made of concrete. It was glass on the playground. You would fall, bust your knee, bleed, get up and keep going and play again. Have you been to a playground today? Especially in these nice neighborhoods, they, the ground is a sponge. They have changed the fabric of the earth to protect these bitch-ass kids. And now they just skipping through life like shit is great. Just, oh my God. This shit ain't real. None of this is real. But that's what you do. I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. I know it was some bullshit in the 80s. I know we did a lot of stuff that wasn't right, but my job is to find the life lessons that worked, pull that through, and leave the bullshit behind. That's my job. And I do that with my kids now, because I need them to have that thing inside of them. You understand? That's why I tell my kids all the time, you gotta have that thing that's gonna make you fight through shit when it get hard, because it's gonna get hard. You understand? Life gonna come for you. I don't give a fuck about how great you was in high school and college. None of that shit me. You got to have that thing. I graduated from school at the bottom of my class. Do you understand? On the program, it was my name and the nigga who printed the programs. You couldn't get no further down than this. But I got that thing inside of me. And I've been looking for that thing from my kids. I need you to have that thing. And I try to do stuff. You know what I mean? Like I tried a little part to my kids playing volleyball. We did the little participation trophy volleyball for a long time. And after a while, I started to see them get a false sense of themselves. Right? I'm like, I don't like this. We about to, we're gonna keep playing, we're gonna play some real sports. So I took them and we played club volleyball. Now I don't know if you know anything about club sports, but it's two things, right? Very expensive, very competitive. And when I say expensive, I mean thousands of dollars to other states, hotel rooms, watching you play expensive. And if I'm dropping thousands to watch you play, I need you to fucking try. You understand? <laughs> I remember this. Anna Grace was about 13 years old. We took her to go play in club, and she went to Vegas, right? 
up there to play in a tournament. Immediately when she got on the court, I saw she saw this ain't participation volleyball. Because these girls had that look in their eye. Balls coming, ka, ka, ka. I see her confidence starting to flutter. I don't like that. Ball went by her, she went, uh. I said, motherfucker. You ever be so angry you feel that heat in your chest? Now I'm standing in front of the stairs where the parents sit. I'm pacing, looking at Anna Grace. Julie's like, David, maybe you should sit down. I said, shut up, Julie. I done spent all this goddamn money to come up here. And she, uh, I kill everybody in this motherfucker. My wife thought that was the worst thing I could ever say. How could you say that? I said, are you kidding? My father said that shit to us once a week growing up. Every week we heard, I'll kill everybody in this motherfucker. And then I kill myself. I said, wait a minute. We all gotta die because of the black cherry Kool-Aid? What is wrong with this nigga? I never understood that kind of anger until right now. And I'm looking at Anna Grace as she's trying to look forward like she don't see me staring at her. But I know she feel that heat on the side of her face. As Soon as we make eye contact, I'm gonna bust your ass as soon as this shit is over. We got in the car, we argued four and a half hours back to LA from Vegas. I was like, you're not trying. I am trying. I said, you're not trying. No, what the fuck trying to look like? I'm doing it. That's how I sound when you argue with little teenage girls. Long story short, she quit. <laughs> this is what I've learned. When you have an opinion in your family that is not popular, eventually you have to let it go. Because no matter what your point is, they will eventually blame it on you. Because my point is, we don't quit. We finish with we start, we push through no matter what. I think that's a pretty good lesson. But they've turned it into, your energy is bad, daddy. It's bringing down the house, it's bad. You know, this is the, this is the generation of sound bites. It's your body shaming and, 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 and it's emotionally abusive. You know what's emotionally abusive? Dropping 3,500 in Vegas watching you go, ah, that's fucking abusive. Three years went by, Anna Grace ain't done shit. <laughs> Finally went to a new private school. They said, if you go to the school, you need to join, you know, pick an elective. Do something, get involved. They said, Anna Grace, I need you to pick something. I don't want to do anything. I said, if you don't pick something, I'm going to pick it for you. I'm not going to just go to the school and TikTok all goddamn day. <laughs> she didn't pick nothing, I picked it for her. And this is another thing that I've learned. When I'm going to make announcements to my family that I know are going to be unpopular, I do it in public. Because I know they can only act so crazy with a bunch of people around. We was out eating a nice brunch and in the middle of it, I said, Anna Grace, I've made a decision. You're going back to play volleyball. She lost it, I don't wanna play! <laughs> she yells out, my volleyball days are over! Like she's 49 with bad knees and just can't do it no more. Her younger sister, Ashlyn, a 14-year-old, Ashlyn is the protester and the feminist of the family. She comes to her sister's defense immediately. Daddy, you cannot make her. She is a woman. You are a man. A man will not tell a woman. We will be her. We will march to the hills. I said, if you don't shut your ass up, Angela Davis, didn't nobody ask you shit. I said, let me tell you something, man. Grace, they got three days of tryouts. You're going to take your ass up there. You're going to try out, and I don't want to hear nothing about it. 
Three days go by, Anna Grace goes to try out. For three days, she ain't talking to us. And I love how they think that not talking to me hurts me. I personally rather like it, you understand? Because I know for three days, you ain't gonna be asking me for shit. On the third day, we get a text from Anna Grace on the family chat thread. This, this, this is what it said. Holy shit, parents. I made JV. I'm so excited, emoji heart exclaim. Now, David that was raised by Barbara and Eddie in the 80s, locked in on the sentence that said, holy shit. Cause I'm thinking, who the fuck are you talking to? Since when you start cussing at your family? But the David that's trying to move us forward, locked in on the I'm so excited emoji heart exclaim, because I'm hoping that she'll take that moment and connect it back to three weeks earlier when she yelled out, my volleyball days are over. And she'll realize that if you push through a little bit of adversity, you might find some success on the other side. This is what I need her to know. Anna Grace is six inches taller than she was last time she played. I got a chance to see her play when I started touring about six months ago. The girl is playing, blocking, spiking, like in the game. I'm watching her self-esteem rise while she's on the court playing. Game is over, she runs to me, gives me a hug, says, Daddy, thank you so much for making me do this. I said, I'm your father. It's my job to see what you don't. You understand? And you gotta remember something. No matter what, I always got you. You understand? Because I love you. I said, but if you ever cuss at me on the text again, I'll kill everybody in this motherfucker. You hear me? Gotta pull the life lessons through and leave the bullshit behind. That's what I do. I do stuff for them even when I don't want to because sometimes I learn shit about me. They wanted a dog. I don't want no dog. You understand? Dog, first of all, dogs got different lives than they had when I came up. You know what I'm saying? I don't need you new dog owners, y'all doing too much. I'm telling you that right now. You got them in the grocery store, you walking around with them and shit in little bags. I flew here first class with a poodle next to me, looking at me like, what the fuck you doing here? No, bitch, what the fuck you doing here? Y'all did, y'all got your mouth in their mouth. Oh my God, I love you so much. But you won't get the vaccine. But this right here, oh my God. But this, oh, I don't want that in my body. But my dog who's been licking his balls all day, that's okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of here. And I was like, why, why don't I want a dog? You know what I mean? Like, I had a dog coming up, and then it hit me. I went, oh, I had a dog coming up, and it was horrible. One of my biggest childhood pains is connected to one of my dogs when I grew up. I grew up here in Cleveland, Ohio. I'll never forget, I was about eight years old, and I was standing in the doorway. Dog was outside on the tree lawn pen. Outside, the car pulls up, opens the door, grabs the dog, drives away. I said, what? I said, Dad, they got the dog. <laughs> this is all my father had to give me in this horrible moment in my life. He went, oh. All right, come on in the house. I said, wait a minute. I was like, you're not gonna do shit. Now he mad at me. What the fuck you want me to do, David? The dog is gone. I 
said, God damn, we're not supposed to care about these dogs. For years, this haunted me. And like, I came up at a time when you didn't like talk to your parents about your feelings. You just processed that shit through your own little eight-year-old mind. And for years, I would run that through my head like, you know, I understand why he came out and looked that way. Because that's the way they drove off. you looking back here for? Like you thought they gonna go around the block with the dog and come back with the dog? There you go, I was fucking with you now, you know. And what's crazy about it is no matter what you do, you end up being just like them. Just like the people, you will say the same shit they say because it's the only template you have. And even when you think I'm not gonna be like that, you, I, I find myself saying the same shit that I heard my whole life coming up. And the thing about it is I was raised, I, you know, I have three very strong, influential men in my life that raised me. And all of them, while very different, were very instrumental in making me have that thing that I have inside of me. My stepfather, my dad, and my grandfather. All of them very different, but very instrumental. My grandfather was the guy that I watched put our entire family through college with an eighth grade education. Yes. I watched my grandfather work every single day. And my grandfather was that guy that he loved him when he met you, he prided himself on being able to talk to you for 10 minutes. And after talking to you, he could tell you exactly what your problem was. And if he couldn't figure it out, he'd just sum it up to the fact that you was on that shit. That's what he would say. <laughs> we don't know what that shit is, but if he couldn't figure you out, your ass was on it, best believe. And my grandfather, when he got older, like when he got in his 80s, his favorite thing to do would be to sit around the house and talk about me. Because he did not understand how I was gonna make it in this world. And he was worried for me his whole life. And you know, when you get in your 80s, you don't need nobody to have no conversation with you. You got both sides of this conversation handled just fine. And my grandfather had a little orange recliner that he sat in that nobody ever sat in, even after he passed away. And I remember he would always sit in this chair. My grandfather always looked agitated. Thank y'all for listening to this boy talk. Cause up until today, ain't nobody wanted to hear shit David Arnold had to say. Cause he ain't never been talking about nothing. See, 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 see. What you need to understand about David Arnold is that this boy is lazy. He lazy. And if he got to walk more than two feet for a piece of bread, he gonna starve. And that's where you will find him dead. Laying six inches from a piece of toast, cause he lazy. 
And I don't know where he gets this laziness from, you understand? I'm 79 years old. I've been working since I was eight. And I work every day. You get up, you, 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 you walk two, three hours to work. You work 10, 12 hours. You walk four, six hours home every day. What no days off. You know, and I come up in the coal mines of West Virginia every day. That's, West, that's right. And I'm, you know, in there working one day, this boy wasn't paying attention. And fuck around and let that cart go, and it cut these four toes off. But I didn't stop working. <laughs> you pick the toes up, you put them in a the bag, and you finish on with the day. I'm 81 years old. I've been working since I was six. You understand me? See, 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 see. I knew David Arnold was going to have a hard way to go when he come up in this world, see? Because, you know, you know he, didn't, he didn't have no daddy. Because, you know, his mama, she, God damn it, she fuck around and got pregnant by one of them old Skip Do niggas, see? Yes, Skip Do. As he do what he do, then he skip on. That's what that is. So me and his grandmama had to go down there and claim it. And I'm thinking, what, 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 what was the day that we went down to see the boy? It was, uh, shit, uh, March the 15th, 1968. And I remember we go to the hospital, and as soon as I look at it, I said, anime, <laughs> whoo, this boy is lazy. You understand me? He ain't been in the world two hours and already he's asleep. It's laziness. I don't do this kind of sleeping. I'm 83 years old. I've been working since I was four. You understand? But. Eventually, my time on this earth was finished. And I had to go. And I, 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 I tell you, I worry about that boy every single day. Because I swear for God, I don't know how he gonna make it. And I hadn't seen him for a long time. And then one day, I saw him, and he was walking two, two and a half hours. And I said, where is this boy going? And I watch him walk into some joke house, and he in there telling his stories and kikiing and cuckooing with these people. And then I watch him walk half hours back and I watch him do this every day for a long time long time and then one day it hit me this 
boy's not lazy at all. He just... He just needed to find his purpose that would make him walk. So, when you see him, you tell him, Papa, I see you. I'm proud of you. My stepfather didn't have no job, wasn't getting no job, and fuck anybody who told him he better get a job. My stepfather was a completely different kind of dude. My stepfather had a claim to fame, though. My stepfather started a group in the 50s that became popular in the 70s called the OJs. Yes. But he quit the day before they made a million dollars. So I spent my whole childhood watching a man try to prove that what was probably the biggest mistake of his life was not really a mistake at all. And this is the thing. When, I don't know if you know anybody from the 70s. My stepfather from the 70s. You know, all them, they from the 70s. They always got some slick shit happening. They, you know, they always got, they got everything he wore was silk for no goddamn reason. And he was always doing some 70s shit with his fingers. And he had a jerry curl, but not really. And, you know, my stepfather, you know, he was cool. And, you know, he would talk down to you, you know. You know, nigga, I started the OJs, nigga, you didn't. So all of his sentences started the same way. <laughs> no, nigga, no. I remember saying to my mother, why you got me in here? And we grew up with a lot of rules with my stepfather. One of the biggest rules that we grew up, me and my three younger sisters, was one glass of juice per kid per day. Everything after that, drink water. That was the rule. And you couldn't get around this rule because he had drink tickets that he would pass out in the morning. You wake up, come downstairs, he's standing right there. Good morning, there's your drink ticket. Fuck that off however you like. <laughs> I was a smart kid. I would save up all my drink tickets to the end of the week. Come in here on Friday, put them on the table. Bam, got five drink tickets, need five glasses of juice. <laughs> no, nigga, no. Today's drink ticket color, David, is blue. None of this is that. Drink water. <laughs> and I was like, I hate it here. And for the life of me, I could not understand why this man was so cheap. And then one day it hit me. He was not cheap. He was broke. And that is a difference. When you broke, you move at a different cadence. You understand? There is always a pressure on the back of your neck and every single decision that is made in your life applies a little bit more. You understand? This wasn't even about the juice because this shit wasn't even real juice. It was like 99 cent chili willy, uh, diabetes in a jug, colored water. But when them juice levels got low, that pressure got on the back of his neck, that shit was real for him. 
But for me, a 10-year-old kid, all I know is I wanted some juice. I could never see his, eye, see his life through the eyes of a 33-year-old man, which is, this is a man who's married to a woman who has three children. Two of them are not his, right? There is no money. She's in his ear and never lets him fucking forget it, right? The juice levels is getting low. There's pressure on the back of his neck. And every single day in our house, on the radio, the only thing you heard was people all over the world. John Start a love train, love train. I'm surprised this nigga didn't kill all of us. You hear me? But I could not see life through his eyes because I was a 10-year-old kid. And I would not be able to understand what he was going through till 40 years later when I am now in my house. And my children are one and two. And I remember Julie was in the kitchen cooking. I had just quit my day job where I made a living as a nurse so I could pursue this dream of doing stand-up. And I remember I would go and I would check our family online check-in count every day because that balance was an indication of how long I had to chase this dream, right? And I would check and I would check and I would check and I remember coming in there one day and it said zero. And in that moment, I felt that pressure on the back of my neck and I realized that my juice levels was low. And I was like, what should I do? The easy thing to do is to go back to the day job, which is security, and you know, pay my bills, take care of my family, or I figure out how to stay on this path that I now successfully walk in to chase my dream as a stand-up. And I knew exactly what I had to do, right? And I went into the kitchen where Julie was cooking, and I looked at her and I said, Julie, one glass of juice per kid per day. Everybody else, drink water. I don't give a fuck what you do, you're gonna be just like them. And you know what's crazy? It would not be until 2005 that I realized what my stepfather taught me in 2005 when I watched him get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the OJs right over here. That he taught me something that I didn't even realize he taught me, which is to never quit. Because as long as I've known him, and to this day, 81 years old, this man still does not quit. Every time I see him, hey, what's happening, brother? I got a meeting, I'm about to go down. Ain't no goddamn meetings, it's over. <laughs> Sit your ass down, you understand? I got one glass of juice for you. Everything after that, drink water. You know the rules, you made them. My father taught me some shit he didn't realize he was teaching. My father taught me just because I'm the man don't mean I got to be no hero and don't mean I got to take the bullet. Everybody think the man's supposed to save the day. My father taught me quick, fuck that. I'm not doing none of that. My father, my father used to go down on the weekends with my father and my stepmother, right? My dad would pick us up, bring us down to the house. My stepmother and my stepbrother and sister, we would all hang out. My stepmother would watch us all weekend because my father would be outside working on his race car. My stepmother always had an attitude. She wore a robe that didn't have no string on it and she held it with one hand. She always had a cigarette in her hand and she would cuss us out, you goddamn kids, get on my goddamn nerves over today. I'm like, what the fuck is she so angry? But I didn't realize he picking up two extra kids and dropping them off with her. Of course she's angry. You never realize what people think about you until a moment comes. I had a little cap gun I used to play with. My stepmother was like, let me get that cap gun. Let's play a prank on your father. When he walk in, I'm going to pretend like I murder all of y'all. And let's see what he do. I'm like, god damn, wait a minute. 
murder? How the fuck we go to murder? What about a water balloon? How you go straight to murder? <laughs> but you know me, I'm like, okay, fuck it, shoot me first. Because I want to fall so I can see what dad do. My father walk in to get some water out the garage. Dude, Jackie got the Jackie got the gun in her in her robe, right? Susie walking, she going to character. I'm so sick of you leaving me in the house with these goddamn kids. She pull out the gun, pop, 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 pop. She start firing on shots. She hit me first. I fall. Boom. I'm on the ground. I'm looking at her, looking at him. See what he gonna do? I know my father about to jump into superhero mode. When I tell you, with every shot she fired, this man got closer and closer to the front door. Pop, what's wrong with you? Pop, what's wrong with you? What's wrong? I thought about saying, is he leaving everybody? It's one kid left, my five-year-old sister, Tammy. I know he's going to try to save the baby. When I tell you this man stepped over me on his way to the door, that's when I start laughing. Now everybody else laughing, and we know the joke is up. My father's like, what y'all, what, boy, boy, I was about to, you wasn't about to do shit. You left everybody. <laughs> my dad was like, well, shit, y'all was shot. Why I got to get shot? I learned that day quick. I ain't, ain't got to be no hero. I tell my wife that shit all the time. Julie, don't put me in no position to be no hero because I'm going to let you down. I promise you. I've been sober 23 years. You know, I don't know if I got sober because I hit rock bottom or if I just got tired of doing the work that it took to be on drugs. Because it takes a lot of work to be on drugs. If you, if you know any people that's on drugs, these are not lazy people. These are motivated people. You gotta be up all hours of the night, you gotta steal, you gotta have some bullshit always happening. Good drugging happened two, three, five in the morning. You can't be lazy and be on drugs. You gotta be out there. But one of my biggest problems with being on drugs is that I never looked like I was on drugs. I always looked like this, which made it hard to buy drugs because the dope man always thought I was an undercover cop. Every time I try to buy some drugs, I get the fuck out of here, nigga. I know you're the cop. I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not the cops. My life is out of control. I need some shit. <laughs> I spent 30 minutes trying to convince the dope man that my life is out of control, so he sells me some drugs. I get back to the car like, God damn, this is exhausting. <laughs> and what's funny is my spin in, you know, to sobriety was a slow one because I never did no crazy shit. I always did a little stupid shit. I never murdered nobody. I never, you know, killed. I never did no, you know, rob. I never did that kind of shit. I would do dumb shit like, you know, go to jail two days in a row by the same cop. That's the kind of shit I would do. You know what I mean? Like, I know my driver's license was suspended from the time I was 17 till about 20. It was always some bullshit with my license. Restricted, suspended, you can't drive between two and four, always some bullshit, right? And I remember one time I was dating this girl <laughs> and, you know, she's like, let's go get something to drink. I'll drive. I'm like, no, fuck it, bitch. I'll drive, right? I jump in her car, I'm driving. I do some drunk shit. Right, police pull us over, Woo! get us with the lights. Immediately, I come up with an idea. Let's switch seats while we driving. Because you got a license, I don't. He can give you the ticket, I give you the money back. She's like, I don't think we're doing it. I said, switch the goddamn seats. So we switch seats. She pulls the car over, the police pulls over. He gets out, he don't even go up to the driver's side in the car. He walks right over to me where I'm sitting in the passenger side, trying to act like I don't know what's going on. Taps on the window. 
He said, hey, hey, roll the window down. You know I can see you through the rear window. Get your ass out the car, you going to jail. Took me to jail. She bailed me out. The next day, same shit. Let's go get something to drink, I'll drive. No, fucking bitch, I'll drive. Jump into the car, same car, same time, same corner, same police. I turn the corner, we lock eyes. Me and the police in his car, I look at him, look at me and go, what the fuck are you doing? This time, I don't even wait for him to get out of his car. I immediately pull over, get out of my car, walk and get in his car. Cause I know my black ass is going to jail. This is the kind of shit I would do. And my life just kept spinning. And it never looked like my life was out of control cause when you tell the story back, it's kind of funny. And my parents somehow would always bail me out of my shit. So it just kept spinning. I did seven days in prison in Bakersfield. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I, I, I got a, I, it was a fix-it ticket that I allowed to turn into a warrant. I don't know if you know that. I was, I was driving a car that I paid $600 for, which should tell you where I'm at in my life. <laughs> that, one, that one laugh is enough for me to keep telling this story. <laughs> and the police pulled me over to realize there are no seatbelts in the car. He was like, there's no seatbelts in this car. I said, I know, I paid $600 for it. He said, well, you can't drive a car with no seatbelts in it. So he gave me a fix-it ticket to put seatbelts in the car. Come to find out, cost $600 to put seatbelts in a car that I paid $600 for. I'm not going to do that. So I drove the car till it broke down. When it broke down, I left it on the side of the road, took my basketball out the back and dribbled home. And I never thought about this car ever again. A year later, I'm up at Edwards Air Force Base with my cousin Michael drinking and doing some bullshit. The police get called, names get ran. My name comes up, David on a warrant, LA. They take me four hours north to Bakersfield, where they hold me for seven days in prison. Now, this is how I know I'm not about that life. <laughs> because the stuff that should have made me call my mother immediately didn't bother me at all. I, stuff that should bother you about being in prison, I'm fine with. But the stuff that made me call her was no less than ridiculous. I, I remember I was two days into a seven-day sentence. I'm doing hard time. <laughs> and I remember I was having lunch, and in the middle of eating, I went. Am I the only one that thinks this food is bland? You want some salt? Some salt would be good. Go ask the guard, he'll get you some. How you doing? Uh, 
I'm David, um, seven, four, three, it don't matter, listen. Um, so me and the fellas was talking and this food. It's a little bland. You want some salt? Some salt would be nice. Have a seat, I'll bring you some. He about to bring us some salt, y'all. <laughs> Sit there for 35 minutes. Watching him watch me. Watch him not go get me no salt. Everybody's gone but me and the guard. I know you're busy. Listen, um, are you gonna get the stuff? <laughs> no, nigga, no. And that's when I called my mom. I said, Mama, you gotta get me out of here. She said, Are they trying to fuck you? I said, What? No. I said, But it ain't no salt and pepper in here. And I can't live in a world where I can't put no seasoning on my mashed potatoes. She said, keep your voice down and let me get you out of there for somebody fuck you. You hear me? This is who I was. Nothing got my attention. Nothing, because it was always some bullshit. And I'm telling you, it just kept spinning. Nothing would get my attention up for that goddamn cocaine. Oh, that cocaine. You know, cocaine has a way of eating away at the fabric of who you are, and you don't even see it happening. You know what I mean? You ever see somebody try to act sober? <laughs> this is what a drunk nigga think of sober, first of all. That cocaine was something. And you know what's so funny? I remember like my life started to turn a corner when I sold my car to the drug dealer. I'll never forget, I, I wrote out a, on a napkin, $200. Wrote it out on a napkin, gave it to the drug dealer. Walked home with $200 in my hand, like my life was great. Skipping on that little soft ass playground. Just... Still, that did not get my attention. Came back three days later to buy more cocaine. This time I bought $11 worth of cocaine that I paid for with in nickels. Counted that shit out, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30. That's one, 5, 10, 15, 20, 20. <laughs> Took that $11 worth of cocaine and walked home in the rain. Proud, car drove by, hit a puddle, splashed me. It was the drug dealer in my car. I said, this motherfucker could have gave me a ride. And still, that did not get my attention. It would not be until that cocaine started to talk to me that it started to wake me up. And you know, when cocaine talk to you, it don't tell you what to do. It's passive aggressive in suggesting shit. I remember I was standing around not doing shit, 
And the cocaine walked up next to me and whispered in my ear, maybe it's time to start thinking about sucking dick. I said, that's it! I'm going to rehab! Nigga, when I tell you I ran eight and a half miles in three minutes, you hear me? I was like, no! I got to the rehab, they was closed. I opened the door, she said, we closed. I said, I don't give a fuck, I need to get inside. She looked at me and went, oh, baby. You heard the dick sucking voice, huh? <laughs> I said, yes, man, yes, I did! She let me in, I looked out the window, I said, it's dick out there! But I can stand before you and say, 23 years, I've never sucked a dick. Every time I tell that story, my wife is like, see, David, you don't want to suck dick. What make you think we do? I said, Julie, my story ain't your story. You understand? You're talking about sucking dick for drugs. This is you sucking dick for love. You understand? Ask her for no shit like that. Though. Her attitude is bad. <laughs> you ask a woman with some hair, she's like, oh, okay, fine. They always try to act like they got an attitude about it, like it's gonna discourage me. I'm gonna talk you through it. There you go. Nah, nah, there it is. Nah, nah, there it is. I don't know why we shush you. There it is. <laughs> When y'all get home tonight, y'all do it, and one of y'all go, nah, nah. And the other person goes, shh. <laughs> My job is to take the life lessons that work, pull it through, and leave the bullshit behind. You know, like that's what I want to do. And I think about times when we failed at doing that. You know, like coming up as a kid. We weren't always great. I have a stepsister, Robin. Robin is deaf. And you would have thought that Robin being deaf, that we would have made some accommodations for her. Like somebody in our family with no sign language. When I tell you we ain't shit as a family, to this day, nobody ever thought. To this day, when we talk to Robin, we just yell and stump everybody. Robin, you want something to eat? Robin, Robin! But we learned Robin got selective hearing. She hear what she want to hear. Right, Robin, you want something to eat? Ah, I want some ice cream. Ah, ah. You gonna help us wash these dishes, right? Do you hear us? We could not communicate with Robin. And this caught up with my father one time. I'll never forget, I was about 13, 12, which means Robin was 18. And I remember we were all in the living room watching TV. And from a distance, all of a sudden you heard, My father was like, what, what, what is that noise? But 
I don't know. My father decides to go investigate. I go with. The noise keeps going. Uh-huh. Yay. Uh-huh. Yay. Noise takes us through the kitchen, down the basement steps, halfway down. I know what's going on. And I'm 13. He's 36. I know he knows. The closer we get to the noise, the slower my father is walking. You would have thought we was at a haunted house at 3 o'clock in the morning. He down in here, my hand on his shoulder, his hand on my hand, over his shoulder, as we creep towards this door. Aha, uh -huh, yeah. Aha, uh -huh, yeah. around the corner, Robin and her boyfriend are in there fucking like ain't nobody home. I've never seen my father not know what to do, ever. He is as far away from you as them as I am, right? This is all he got. Stop all this fucking. They don't hear shit. Uh-huh, yeah. He gonna reach out and touch old boy on the shoulder. But I think he feel like he gonna get sucked into some kind of weird threesome. So he reaching and them hold my hand, I'm holding the door. He reaching, they fucking, he got him robbing. Stop this fucking! Oh my, oh my God! <laughs> On the nightstand is a glass of water. My father picks it up, throws it on both of them. They separate. My father's like, what the fuck, Robin? What the fuck are you doing? Robin's like, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. My father looked at her and went, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I'm David Arnold, y'all. Thank you very much. I fucked with y'all.